Section six of Christmas Comes But Once a Year by John Layton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The visitors are in the room below, a scene of ruin and rueful faces. The supper that was displayed there in all its state is done for. Alas, the chandelier has been poked off the hook, a mishap in which few sympathise, for the floor is said to be safe, Mr. Lark being the first to propose their going above, as he jokingly observed, to crack the party wall. Now for that vastly relished valse, the teetotum, liked none the less for the late excitement, deux temps against trois temps, the latter getting worsted, and the brown girls who danced every dance with certain gentlemen only more and more unpopular. As the evening progresses, the wallflowers become bolder, some finding partners for quadrilles, others edging up to the vacant recesses, rendering it now possible to get out at the door and obtain air on the landing, where several young fellows are congregated. There young Lark was laughing, we knew, at the Reverend Jewel St. Jones, the clerk in orders at St. Stiff's, doing the Cavalier Seul, for we heard him say something about early missal or primitive Christian style, joking the Reverend Gentleman's partner, Miss What's-Her-Name, the lamp-post from number four Berry Court, St. Mary Axe, that washed-out, faint, fair creature, she that looks as if you could see the back-buttons of her dress through from the front, that lady, well, do you see her? It is said her mother keeps her in a dark closet, that she may look like a consumptive geranium. However, Mr. Lark said he did not believe it and as no one said they did, the matter ended. The stairs soon became a popular observatory, several wallflowers joining the knot, one of whom mildly remarks something about three silver-grey silks in the foreground, and their being much worn, which Mr. Lark fully agreed in, as he said they appeared to have been turned several times a joke at which the wallflower faintly smiles, for the three silver greys are his sisters. However, nothing daunted, he is at it again, remarking upon marriage, and people that look married, illustrating his theory by pointing out the juvenility of an aunt, who he says is a virgin, Lark retorting, Verging on fifty! a notification that begets much laughter, making the wallflower feel at a discount, and more than ever desire to say something smart. So he pitches upon a gentleman with parenthetical, bowed, legs, observing that Brown has invited his tailor. Moreover, wagering two to one that if the gentleman so libelled were asked to look at the splashes on the calf of his leg, he would take it up in front and examine it in his hand, like a nabob or tailor used to sit upon the floor. Were he a Christian, he would look at it over his shoulder. Here the wallflower turned for applause, looking over his own shoulder to illustrate the anecdote, 
there to discover Captain de Camp, the gentleman who introduced, parenthesis, a staff doctor from Woolwich, at least so the captain said. But here we will leave them to proceed below and see how matters progress in the supper-room. The chandelier, the treacherous culprit that would not swing or hang in chains, is being borne away, clanking along the lower hall. The broken glass has been picked out of the pastry, and the oily odour overcome with esprit de bouquet, presenting withal a very effective coup d'oeil. Though we could fancy the tipsy cake in the form of a leaning tower, if anything a little more groggy, and that the composite Corinthian temple looked as if it had suffered from an earthquake, but there it was, for all the intense remorse of the cook, who thought the exhibition of so mutilated a work of art would injure his reputation for ever. But it did not. Neither did any one notice the loss of the frail effeminate brigand that formerly tenanted the rotunda of barley-sugar. Nor was it known that a treadmill had given place to a locomotive and tender in sweets. The first portion of this banquet disappears merrily, there being no lack of the usual conserves, pasties, and geometrical bread envelopes, supposed to contain something, but consumed without the slightest knowledge of their contents. After the ladies have supped and withdrawn, the gentlemen lay too with immense energy, as if to make up for the time they have been kept in suspense, creating great havoc amongst ruined fowls or anything they can lay hands upon, in the excitement particularity having given place to mirth. One gentleman has planted a spoon in his buttonhole after the fashion of a flower, and of course for his pains got called a spoony by an unknown voice behind Mr. Potts, the tame apothecary, who is pouring, or rather measuring out, some champagne himself, catching the final drop on the edge of the glass, as if it were castor oil. The spoony, thinking it Pot's voice, must make a joke in return, so begins with the rather hackneyed, but, as he thought, appropriate one, of champagne being better than real pain, or quinine wine and upon Mr. P.'s essaying to answer, our spoon diverted to some tongue he was consuming, saying he liked it better than potted tongue, an observation that made the apothecary's face flush, and the spoon liken it to an article before them, a claret mug. At this last allusion the pot got red-hot, and there is no knowing what would have been the consequences had not the spoon terrified the pot by proclaiming silence in a stentorian voice and a gentleman risen dr portbin the author of that elaborate essay on dribbling babies in one thick volume royal octavo a work that nobody read but everybody thought a great deal of for it gained its author a vast infantine practice so when the m d rose the pot trembled, feeling greatly relieved to find the doctor only did so to propose the ladies. Health and long life to Mrs. Brown and the ladies, 
a toast that was drunk with great enthusiasm, Mr. Lark vociferously applauding, at the same time stating in an undertone, the doctor meant a long life of ills and bills. Dr. Portbin's sentiment is echoed by Mr. Brown, who returns thanks in a stereotype speech almost as original as a royal one. To which, in some points, it bore slight resemblance, the ideas being very much generalised. There was an alliance with foreign powers, acquisition of territory, and friendly relations, altogether a prosperous allegory, which causes Captain de Camp to be called upon, and in that style of speech usually denominated neat give very visible vent to his inexpressible feelings, sketching several scenes commencing at Victoria Villa and ending at St. Stephen's, with a verse intended to look as if composed for the nonce, but in reality a work of much study. It was delivered with great emphasis, a composition for which we had to blush, though as faithful chroniclers feel bound to insert. It ran as follows. Victoria and Albert's big with city's wealth and soldier's glory, to army, queen, and country, swig, improve, my friends, and prove the Tory. We do not think the captain quite liked the word swig, but he could find no better in Walker's rhyming dictionary, or the last expression, but conservative could not be lugged in anyhow. However, we must say, this ostensible improvisatorial effort produced a grand effect, and a greater noise, which had scarcely subsided when Mr. Sergeant Wideawake, the honourable member for Bloomsbury, and author of Lays of a Liberal, rose to retort, saying, We beg to doubt your precious rig, and I'll tell you another story. To improve is to be a Whig, but not to improve is a Tory. The effect of this latter burst of poetic fire was truly electric. It completely extinguished the captain's impromptu glimmer, lighting up that gallant bosom with a passion of another kind, he feels miserably put out, and, like a dying rushlight in its last moments, seemed determined to end with a spark of unusual brightness. The captain stood erect, awaiting his opportunity, but, alas, it was one that never came, for the ventriloquist that caused the rupture between Mr. Potts and the Spoony made the lion wince by observing he hoped there would be no cruelty to animals, a remark that made our lion roar contemptuously and call the company bears and monkeys, he growling with bloodthirsty pugnacity about satisfaction and chalk farm the declamatory mania causing the irascible monster to mount a projection in the recess covered with a curtain, bringing down an avalanche of fenders, fire-irons, and other stowage with a fearful crash, crowning the king of beasts with a helmet-scuttle. 
thus permitting the meaner animals to escape, leaving, as Mr. Lark, who came out last, said, between frightful gusts of laughter oozing from his handkerchief, Jackal Brown, the lion's provider, pacifying the enraged brute with claret or soda-water, and John in such an extreme fit of awe that he has taken the state jug with the hole in the bottom stopped with sealing-wax, only intended to hold cold water, into use for hot, and, being unable to stop the orifice with his finger, drops the article to the scalding of the already infuriated lion. Feet were pattering above as we left this scene of strife, no time seeming to have been lost during the consumption of the supper. For the hands of the clock in the hall pointed to an earlier hour than they did when we descended, the truth being Lark, though rather fast himself, thought time too much so, and put him back a little. The wallflower is comparing the clock with his repeater. Lark is reprimanding him, saying it is not etiquette to do so, and that really someone ought to tell the vulgar thing in green satin who wore her button of a watch-face outward, fearing lest it should be taken for a locket, to turn the bauble round, for it is time she was in bed. Having been absent for a short period, we were informed by the lark that we had not lost a treat, for Jemima had been singing, Memory be thou ever true, whilst Lark, perpetrating a dreary pun, said he every moment wished the music-stool would prove a falsetto, and precipitate the lady to the ground, for it was a sad pity to hear poor Spoth's songs so murdered. They are now at a waltz, the Olga, which is carried on with spirit, lasting a very long while, young Lark saying he does not waltz, for it makes his head swim, and that he has an objection to stand holding by the shelf, experiencing a sensation delightful as standing upon one's head in a swing, before a lady that ought to have your best attention. However, for all Lark's protestations, we saw some one-sided smiles, as much as to say his vulnerable part, like that of Achilles, lay in the heels. An insinuation Lark could well afford to allow, for he does not live to dance alone, like some sage perfect performers. After the Caledonians and another polk, which for diversion young Brown has danced to the tune of the college hornpipe, a pleasing eccentricity, followed a quadrille à la Française, danced with outsides in two very long lines, a style reported to have been imported from a casino, and not held to be proper by sober people. So Potts got a disgust for the polka, and thought it improper, a dance he never patronised or wished to, it being too fast for the dull apothecary. He hated it because once an inveterate polkist nearly knocked his patella or knee-pan off with some hard substance in the flying tails of the dancer's dress-coat, a huge street-door key that ought to have been left in the paletot. Our evening is drawing to a close, 
the mouths in the boudoir are assuming the shape of elongated o's an epidemic that has extended to the wallflowers the harp has accompanied his instrument with fitful snores the violin scarcely knows the back from the front of his fiddle or the cornet which end to blow into yet upon being asked for roger de coverley they make a desperate effort to awake for they know it to be the last dance which is supported by the whole strength of the company captain de camp leading off with mrs brown and mr brown with lady lucretia thus ends the christmas ball the still-room is being besieged for coffee and there is a great difficulty in obtaining hats and coats unfortunately few of the tickets corresponding for alfonso's ward was precipitated down the kitchen stairs it having been too heavily laden lady and miss highbury are seen to their carriage by mr lark who departs in lord towney's cab with a gibus hat mechanically deranged all wrinkles like a jockey's boot upon being asked by a lantern-bearer if his honour has such a thing as a pint of beer in his pocket mr lark with playful irony informs the supernumerary that malt liquor is not a solid neither is it to be obtained at evening parties to and fro flit the jack-o'-lanterns respectfully touching the binding of their battered hats covering the tiers of muddy wheels with their coat-tails that the tulle and tartelaine may not be spoiled hoping your honour will remember them as they cast uncertain shadows upon the icy pavement ice that has been rendered none the less slippery by their cutting out a slide upon it with the assistance of the police during the evening such a banging of doors clashing of steps and stopping up the way under the little awning over the carriage sweep a pretty pass so narrow that we are sorry to say the hackney drivers instituted a private road amongst the hardy shrubs choking up the gates to the great distress of pedestrians who are looked upon by the lanterns as shabby gents paying nothing for the privilege of walking they the lanterns viewing the immunity in the light of parsimony however we think walking home after a party under the influence of champagne a dangerous experiment the clear free street seeming to court a lark and the very bells to invite pulling visitors and night knock and ring and run also we have since heard the fate of a rash expedition undertaken at this season the band of adventurers consisting mostly of those gentlemen who had passed the last half-hour dying for a cigar and yet by some unknown attractive power felt bound to stay the entertainment out probably it was that such kindred souls might depart en masse however be it what it might their first care was to obtain a light at some sacrifice for the lamp-post had been newly painted and secondly happening to pass mr spoaf's 
they must serenade that gentleman with pathetic negro melodies about the loss of one mary blaine and an injunction to susanna not to sob until driven by the police into another beat there to lose one of their band who fell a victim to an inquiring spirit for seeing an inscription on a door to intimate that its owner a surgeon gave advice gratis between the hours of four and five every saturday he rang to demand the same having the headache as it was just that time by st stiff's but unfortunately falling into the clutches of number eight of the a division he had to receive the advice from a magistrate between eleven and twelve at a fee of five shillings we left mr lark in lord towney's cab again to take up with him being put down at the end of bloomsbury buildings fearing the rattle of wheels in that quiet cul-de-sac would disturb the old larks having found the door and spent five minutes by the hinges searching for the keyhole he gets within and spends five more trying to ignite an extinguisher cautiously stealing to bed throwing his paletot over the top banister and the contents of its pockets down the well staircase to the awakening of the whole house at victoria villa the last guest has gone the de camps have gone departed with cordiality and love for all that is brown at the same time sadly mortified with the impression made on that worthy gentleman's friends mrs brown worn out and exhausted has given a parting glance round with her night-lamp and panted up to bed the misses brown have retired to their chambers john feels very much inclined to proclaim his opinion of the captain but is fearful of the consequences and mr strap who has fallen a victim to his weak point strong drink is rendered thereby quite incapable of making either a base to his person or a fluent speech as it seems he wished for upon meeting mr brown by the stairs he made a rush at the esteemed proprietor of that name prophetically bidding him to beware of captings in wolf's clothing for all isn't g g gold as glitters as the reverend mr B bucket observes in the proverbs of solomon's songs mr strap after having delivered these sentiments in what might have been called a sotto voice to an imaginary mr brown for the reality had withdrawn to bed performs an unsuccessful backward movement upon his heels as if to survey his victim coming to the ground where he lay until borne off by john who thinks him a valiant fool the persevering brown though much fatigued does not postpone the diary january fourth friday execrable friday 
we this day gave our annual ball we indeed why i knew nothing about it until all the cards had been dispatched mrs brown asks just as tom does if he may have the sugar when it is half consumed it was mrs brown's ball in every sense i did hope to have experienced more enjoyment for the money i have many a time been happier at half the price ay happier when i was clerk at chisel and filch's in aldermanbury but somehow i suppose a man must make sacrifices for his friends as penurious old chisel did when he paid the debt of nature and left to me that he could not take away not that i ever made any sacrifices for spoof no he never asked it cheap trusty friendship is something i must own to feeling all the evening as if my collar had too much starch therein and more out of place in my own house than the white neckerchiefs that waited at supper i am like a fish out of water and that fish a flat fish caught with a bit of red rag however there must be a great deal in use another element may be delightful when used to it there is no doubt my old friend wide awake's attack upon the captain was mere envy and as to his insinuating that i should never eat a peck of salt with that man to say i shall never know that man is preposterous as to eating the literal peck no man probably will do that for the captain has an aversion to saline food saying it makes the bones soft i wonder if it has the same effect upon brains we shall see wide awake we shall see let this page bear testimony i hope the briny ocean may not swallow up the captain's luggage end of section six